Wake up! It's the Sleep Unplugged Podcast, Episode 64, Sleep and the Gridiron. Your country needs you to play football. Welcome, everyone, to the Sleep Unplugged Podcast. My name is Chris Winner. I'm a neurologist and sleep specialist and your host for the Sleep Unplugged Podcast. If you're new to our Sleep Unplugged family, welcome. We're very glad you're here. If you're a veteran of the podcast, welcome back. Really appreciate you joining us once again. Well, it's that time of year. Football is starting. I think the NFL just maybe played its first game. I think it was Detroit and Kansas City. But the season's really getting going this weekend. College football has started. I think we're into week two of college football. So I thought it'd be fun just to take a break from the more serious topics we have been talking about to talk a little about sleep and specifically football. Now we've talked about sleep and athletic performance really early in the podcast. Um, I think we did that simply because that, that was some of the research that I do as it relates to how teams travel, how they perform, how they recover. That was episode 12, way back in September. So here we are literally a year later from that episode revisiting specifically how sleep interacts with football. It'll be a fun, light episode. And even if you're not a football fan, I think there'll be something to glean from this from this podcast. If you're interested in the show, if you're interested and want to talk about your favorite football team, my alma mater just lost to James Madison this week. So we're off to an 0-2 start and not looking so great. I'm not a huge sports fan, football fan, but certainly pay attention to them and hopefully UVA can get things back on track. But if you want to talk about football, sleep, whatever's on your mind, you can contact us through the show. My Instagram is drchriswinter, Twitter drchriswinter, threads drchriswinter, and now blue sky drchriswinter. And I, I just got this strange invitation to be on this new platform called blue sky. So I put a little profile on there. I don't think have a follower. So you have the opportunity to not only communicate with the show through Blue Sky and ask your sleep unplugged question, but you could be my first friend on Blue Sky. We had a lot of communication over the last couple of weeks. Last week, we talked about sleep and anxiety, big topic, important topic. The week before that was sleep and memory. and just got a lot of great communications from people, uh, Kim in New York, uh, I'm sorry, in North Carolina, uh, Patrick uh, was talking about episode five, our death by CPAP. Linda was referring back to our sleep and fatigue episode. And Kim also uh, in, in North Carolina said, I really love your podcast. And I happen to be a patient of Dr. Specters, who we spoke about in the last podcast, who's down at Duke University and doing great work. So it's fun to have these kind of communications with you guys and really kind of create this sort of interconnected family. Uh, one really quick communication I had was from Hob, Hob Gadling, mysterious Canada guy on Twitter, who said a couple things. Number one, he said, you know, your, your um, podcast episode number 60 on influencers and experts and bad sleep advice. He said, I got to admit, you fooled me when you said you had become one of the top podcasts. So we did a funny experiment in that one where I said some misinformation 
at the beginning of the podcast, talked about misinformation, disinformation, and then at the end of it said, you know what, I, I was fooling you. I'm not one of the most top, top podcasts now. And I'm curious how many people were actually fooled by it. And he said, yeah, you got me. Then he also said, you've, you've mentioned Andrew Huberman a couple of times. He said, do you intentionally mispronounce his name to sound like Superman? And I've gone back and listened to the podcast. I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but if I'm not, please please let me know. I'm not intentionally mispronouncing anybody's name. That's just my own ignorance. And he also mentioned, um, Hob, who's a fan of the show, that in my episode on memory, episode 62, at one point I was messing up the declarative, deep sleep declarative uh, messaging about memory. And, and you said, at one point you said REM sleep instead of deep sleep. It happened around... Um, minute 28 of the episode just wanted to correct that little misspeak I, I went back and listened to it and i did sort of blur those two things at one point which was a mistake sorry about that so keep it coming really appreciate the connections and the communications with the show before we get going we'll touch upon the music uh reference in this in this episode your country needs you to play football now in this episode we're only talking about american football this reference is is, is probably coming from uh, English football or soccer, but it's a reference from a song called Union Jack by the, 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 the group Big Audio Dynamite. Big Audio Dynamite was a group founded by Mick Jones. That's Mick Jones of The Clash, not Mick Jones, the guitarist of Foreigner, both amazing musicians. Mick Jones was with The Clash. When we talked about The Clash, we had a reference to London Calling in one of our episodes. He was fired from the band in 83 when the class started to fall apart. Their drummer, uh, Topper Hedden, uh, was um, uh, um, completely messed up on heroin. Jones and Strummer were constantly bickering. And so finally, Jones left in 83 when the band kind of fell apart. He initially formed a group called Public Image, I'm sorry, General Public, and they're famous for the song Tenderness, if you remember that song. Formed the group, almost immediately left, formed a, a little transient group, and then came back and formed Big Audio Dynamite, which actually had two iterations, Big Audio Dynamite, and then after their um, fourth album, they formed Big Audio Dynamite 2. Um, their, that album they released, Big Audio Dynamite 2, The Globe was huge when I was in college, if you're familiar with Rush and and the globe and all that good stuff. Anyway, this song Union Jack was from their last Big Audio Dynamite iteration, uh, Big Audio Dynamite one, if you will. The album was called Megatop Phoenix and it's a fantastic song that pops up in certain media. I actually just recently heard it in the episode of um, Ted Lasso. So really great, great group. Awful that the clash broke up, but really Mick wanted to do very different things. And if you listen to the music of Big Audio Dynamite, it was really quite a departure for the clash and, and a music direction he wanted to go in. So very excited about that. We'll add that to our Spotify playlist. So let's get into sleep and football. I think there's a lot of really interesting connections between sleep and football. People talk about, you know, what do you do with sports teams when you work with them? And, and, you know, what we're really trying to do is sort of pull in the idea of sleep and sleep health and sleep science into what athletes are trying to accomplish in terms of their own performance goals. And when you think about 
keeping an, an athlete healthy, helping them perform at their best. I think a lot of people go towards athletic training staff, strength and conditioning coaches, that whole field of sleep and athletic performance. And I want to draw an interesting comparison that we'll book in the show with that in um, 1881, the Harvard University football team hired a guy named James Robinson. And James Robinson was the first, first athletic trainer for a sports organization that we have record of. So his job was to manage the health, performance, and wellness of the Harvard University football team. And I'm going to come back to Harvard as it relates to football at the end of the show but I think that's a really nice starting point for this. So at the turn of the century, we've got this guy who's sort of out there trying to figure out beyond the X's and O's of football, ways to keep um, individuals healthy. And if you fast forward about 100 years to 1997, there was a really interesting study that I became aware of when I was in college and just kind of starting out um, in in in, in sleep, I, this, I feel a little bit later, um, there was a great study in 97. So I had kind of gotten into sleep around 93, but was sort of towards the end of my undergraduate. I graduated from college in 95, was starting to think about how does sleep and what does that intersection of sleep and performance look like? And there was a fantastic study out of Stanford that actually looked at how does the travel of NFL teams get affected by time zones. And they did a very eloquent, uh, elegant study looking at Monday night football. So if you grew up on it, Monday night football came on Monday night, every night at 9 p.m. So no matter where the game was happening, the television turned on at nine o'clock and that was kickoff. So what this study showed, it looked over 25 seasons of Monday night football that the West Coast team had the advantage that basically when the West Coast team played, they were playing constantly closer to their athletic peak at nine o'clock. So if you imagine, you know, the let's say the the L.A. You know, San Francisco 49ers are playing New York Newark Giants in New York. It kickoffs at nine o'clock. What time does it feel like to a Newark Giant? New York Giant, it's nine o'clock. What time does it feel like if you're a San Francisco 49er? It probably feels closer to six o'clock because of that timing. And that puts us closer to that athletic peak performance time of a young athlete that's usually thought to be somewhere around four, five, six p.m. So West Coast teams won more often and they won by a greater point margin. So there was even back in the, the late 90s, there started to become a research looking at the sleep, circadian influences, travel tend to impact sports, and, and football was certainly one of them. Uh, a few years prior to that study, 94, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, actually conducted a big study looking at NFL football players. And they recruited somewhere in the order of, I believe, 200 um, players. Um, and evaluated them based upon controls from a bigger health study that was going on. Um, and they had these players, it was 257 retired players do home sleep studies, essentially. They were non-monitored sleep studies to evaluate for sleep apnea. And what it showed was that sleep disordered breathing was shown in about 52% of these retired football players. So over half of the players 
in this study seem to show evidence of sleep apnea or sleep disordered breathing. We've talked about sleep apnea in a couple episodes. Episode five, we talked about sleep apnea in terms of mild sleep apnea. Uh, but we also talked about more significant sleep apnea, the treatments in a later episode of the podcast, if you're interested. Um, they also showed that linemen were more likely to be affected by sleep disordered breathing, and they were more likely to have high blood pressure, obesity, et cetera. Uh, this was a, you know, a study that was actually reproduced later on by uh, George, uh, uh, Charles uh, George, and Vito and Patricia Cab, uh, Alan Levy did a very important study in 2003 uh, showing sleep. It was called Sleep Breathing in Professional Football Players. And I believe these were Canadian football players in this study because it was very difficult for them to get access to NFL players. We tried to do a study in the NFL shortly after we did a study back in 2007, I believe, with college football players and were completely denied access. But basically in that study, they showed that 92% of these individuals uh, were under the age of 30 that they looked at and that they found an AHI greater than 10. Usually the cutoff for sleep apnea is having an apnea hypopnea index. How many breathing disturbances you're having per hour greater than five. They found it greater than 10 um, in 13 or 34% of the, the group they looked at. So basically they were saying, look, we estimate the prevalence of sleep disordered breathing to be somewhere on the order of about 14% of professional players. I, I meant to say 13 or 14 and not, not 34. Um, so the high-risk players, uh, the, the linemen or whatnot, had a much higher percentage. So basically between these two studies, the CDC, CDC study and the, the George Cab study, they're saying, look, NFL players have much more of a risk of having sleep apnea, sleep disordered breathing, and th therefore a much greater risk for negative health, health outcomes going forward. What we know about sleep apnea is it's a huge independent risk factor for bad health outcomes, but it's also contributing to things like obesity. It's contributing to high glucose and diabetes. It's contributing to heart disease, stroke, heart, high blood pressure, heart failure, um, you know, cardiovascular outcomes of all kind. And we're not even getting into the cognitive aspects of what sleep apnea can do over time. So what was really interesting was in 2010, there was a task force put together. It was a sort of an NFL subcommittee on cardiovascular health. This was not the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. This was not the NCAA. This was the NFL putting together its own subcommittee about the sleep and, and breathing health of its players. And they published a paper in sleep in 2010 called Sleep Disordered Breathing in the National Football League. And what this study showed was that mild sleep apnea, individuals who have breathing disturbances, usually between five to 15 per hour, five to 20 per hour, um, was only seen in about 4.4% of the group. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, mild sleep, I'm sorry, was, was only seen in 19% of the group. Only 4.4% of the group that they looked at had an age act greater than 15. So in that mild category, five to 15, 19% of players, if you're looking at more significant sleep apnea, and again, that was a big theme of our episode five, death by CPAP, more significant sleep apnea, only 4%. They did not feel linemen were any different than non-linemen. So this 
NFL appointed subcommittee is basically saying, look, it's there, but it's not particularly prevalent, not particularly a big problem and sort of downplayed the risk of sleep apnea. And what's interesting is we did studies looking at the performance of college football players. So in 2007, we did a study of about 500 um, Atlantic Coast Conference football players. We got permission to get survey data on all of them. We were never able to get to the point where we could actually do sleep studies on them. But we looked at these individuals and showed a very high rate of excessive daytime sleepiness in these players. And when you matched it up with professional football players at every position, the college football players were much sleepier. In 2012, we took that data and said, look, we know the sleepiness levels of these college football players. We followed them into the NFL draft, the ones that actually were drafted and showed that if they had an Epworth sleepiness scale of seven or below, meaning that they're not particularly sleepy, 56% of those players went on to be what we defined as being successful draft picks, valuable draft picks. When you looked at individuals who had an Epworth sleeping scale of eight or higher, typically 10 is what we describe to be excessively sleepy. But if your Epworth sleeping scale eight or higher, only 38% of those individuals were successful picks. So we were kind of looking at that as, as at, at the college level. And what we saw was that, yeah, it made a, a really big difference. And when you actually look at the sleep and sleepiness of college football players, it's a pretty drastic and dramatic departure from professional football players. And so I do the majority of my work with professional athletes. Obviously, they were collegiate athletes a lot of times before they were professional. So when you become a professional athlete, you no longer have the responsibility of college, which eats up a lot of time. I, I was asked to be on an NCAA task force many years ago, looking at the sleep of collegiate athletes, all athletes. And the thing that I took away from it was this is an impossible algorithm. You have this much practice time, this much time weightlifting. You have to go to every one of your classes. You need to get what, seven, eight hours of sleep, maybe more as an elite athlete. So as you start adding up all the numbers, it becomes very clear that these young athletes do not have the time to do everything that's expected of them. Well, they can't miss a lift. And if they are late or skip a class, they can get kicked off the team. I mean, a lot of teams have mandatory attendance for classes. You cannot miss a class even after a game or when you have travel or whatnot without you know, ex very extenuating circumstances. So it becomes very clear that the only place these young players have to make adjustments to their 24 hour allotment is sleep. And this was actually looked at in a study in 2020. It was called Examination of Sleep and Injury Among College Football Athletes. This study looked at 94 Division I football players. And what I found most interesting about the study was that when they were out of season, these athletes are sleeping seven hours and 16 minutes per night on average. In season, six hours, four minutes. That's the average. You've got a spread there. So there are plenty of people underneath six hours and four trying to do their best athletically, academically, interpersonally, everything. So, and what, what was really interesting to me was 
This study indicated that they did not see any relationship between injury risk and sleep quality quantity. This is in direct opposition to what teams I have worked with have told me directly that, look, we study this. We're not sleep doctors, but we are numbers people. And when you assess the sleep health of our players, we can take that grade, so to speak, and start to look at that as in, as a variable in terms of athletic risk in terms of injury. We can look at it in terms of injury recovery. So I've always believed, and I think we know that individuals who sleep better recover better. And this goes back to deep sleep and growth hormone and all the great things that come about through excellent sleep. What teams have told me independently, meaning that I'm not involved in this research, they're doing it on their own. And let me tell you something, if you're not if you're not aware of what's happening behind the black curtain of sports teams, they have very, very smart data people looking at everything. So as I was sitting down having lunch with a few of them one time, they said, you know, it only took us two years after you started coming here for us to take your assessments and relate them back to not only injury recovery. So they said, you know, on average, if you are ranked a better sleeper, you are recovering from injury faster. But we've determined that individuals who are better sleepers are getting injured less frequently. So they don't have to recover. Now, that, that makes sense to me from a illness perspective. I would believe that an individual who sleeps better is less likely to get sick. They're saying, no, no, it goes beyond that hamstring tear, <laughs> Achilles rupture, whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you get, you know, in terms of injuries that these football players are seeing, that we see that less frequently when it comes to individuals who are sleeping better. I wanted to bring everything back from James Robinson, the Harvard football team athletic trainer from 1881, and fast forward to the current. And Harvard University is doing something that's really interesting. They initiated something called the Football Players Health Study at Harvard University several years ago, where they're basically saying, look, Football presents, American football presents, presents very unique challenges when it comes to the health of the player. And that might be starting from a very, very young age. And we know from you know, traumatic brain injury that the repetitive nature of head injuries, even if they're small, like the lineman, you know, that little, little collision with every snap can be very damaging from a brain perspective. And so they're looking at, they've created essentially a center where they're looking at all the different aspects of football health. And that's all sort of housed at Harvard University where the first athletic trainer for the men's football team began. I think there's a really neat arc and symmetry to that. And as they start to look at the unique you know, health circumstances and needs of the American football player, there is a researcher there, Suzanne Bertiche, who basically created something called the Sleep Boot Camp, which was a pilot telesleep program for former national football players. And I just want to recognize her and the amazing work that she and her team has done to basically reach out to a population that if you're familiar with the NFL and, and the issues related to traumatic brain injury and concussion and the programs available to these players, 
it can be a very difficult situation for the retired player. When you're the active football player and the starting left guard for that team, you've got resources available to you all over the place. When your football days are behind you, that becomes a very different situation. And having treated many players over the years after their football days are over, I really appreciate what Suzanne and Harvard are doing because they're working on trying to create programs for these retired players who are now dealing with the health and sleep consequences of having been a former professional football player. And she had a, there was a study that came out with Suzanne and Susan Redline, who we've talked about before in the show, who's a, who's a killer. And um, in the behavioral, in behavioral sleep medicine, 2023, the study was called adapting brief behavioral treatment for insomnia for national, former for, national football players, um, national football league players, a pilot study. And in the study, it was basically like, look, we're going to develop this very brief telephone intervention for former football players to help them with insomnia and sleep and, and kind of see what happens. And they rolled this thing out and found that that telephone intervention was very helpful for players, particularly when it came to pain and sleep, not so much for the psychological issues that these players were, were dealing with. And so I think that, you know, it began at Harvard and, and now Harvard continues to carry the torch forward for these players and, and, and football players. So that's it. That's really what I wanted to talk about with the show. Uh, I'd like to dedicate this episode of the show to Sonny Randall, who's a good buddy of mine, former NFL player, dealt with a lot of these types of things, one of the nicest guys in the world. And he had a little radio show in Charlottesville that he would he would do every day, a little sports minute. He would come on the on the radio and talk about what's going on in sports for 60 seconds and it was kind of this thing where my daughter and I, when I would take her to school, would listen to this. And he would always have different days for the week. And it was Monday was moan day. Tuesday was ooze day. I'm blanking on Wednesday. Wine, I think it was wines day. But then Thursday was little Friday. And Friday was Friday. And um, she just thought that was the best thing in the world. So this episode is for you, Sonny. Thanks for listening. Really appreciate you turning into the show. If you have questions, comments, criticisms, we want to hear it all. If I'm pronouncing your name incorrectly, which I do all the time, I want to hear about that too. You can find the show Twitter, Instagram, Threads, and Blue Sky. DR Chris Winter is my handle. We have a YouTube channel where we put all the videos of the Sleep Unplugged on there, and you can communicate through the show that way as well too. If you're on Spotify, look up Sleep Unplugged Playlist. All the music we reference in the show is on either volume one, which was our first year, and we're on volume two right now. So we'll put Union Jack by Big Audio Dynamite on that podcast. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your football season. And until next week, sleep well. <laughs>